may be seated. Uh, today, uh, Craig Sanders is going to preach uh, for us as part of his ordination process. Through the years here at Church of the Resurrection, um, I think we've, we've seen that one of our callings as a congregation is a, is a sweet and bitter calling. It, what we've seen is that uh, young people uh, who are uh, preparing for ministry uh, join our church, and then we get to be part of helping to shape them. Uh, and that, is, that has been a sweet thing through the years, getting to know people, getting to know Craig and Caitlin, Ellen and Augie. Uh, it's been, what, about three years? About three years. And, uh, and so that's the sweet part of it. Uh, the bitter part of it is they have to go at some point. We get to know them, uh, and, and we get to fellowship with them and kind of put our imprint on them, and then we get to send them out. Uh, but that's also kind of neat because uh, the seed that we have planted and sowed into their lives is, is spread uh, throughout this country and even, even the world. So uh, as part of our uh, process in our diocese for uh, those who are wanting to be ordained as priests, um, there's an opportunity and a requirement really to preach a couple of times. So this is um, the second time that Craig has preached. He preached at a Wednesday night meeting and then uh, today. And so uh, it's been great getting to know Craig. He's a, he's a theology student. He is getting his doctorate um, under Michael McClyman. Many of us know Dr. Mike. And it just so happens that he's actually revising his dissertation this week and getting ready to defend it soon. So it's been a tough week for him. And here uh, it's just lined up to where he is, is preaching for us today. So Uh, Let me pray for Craig before he comes and then turn it over to him. Lord, uh, we thank you for your gifts and callings that you place on people's lives to build up the body of Christ. And I thank you for Craig and what you've done in his life over these last three years, the discernment that you've given to him. And um, I thank you, God, that you have provided for them. And... um, and for uh, Caitlin and his children, Lord, I pray your blessing upon them, and especially now upon him as he comes to minister your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I wish I could have been there. You found yourself saying that recently? I've had a lot of friends or family going on dream destinations to Paris or London, Berlin. Paul just came back from Alaska. Right? So, uh, but when I asked this question to a small group that's meeting in my house, uh, everyone opted for more historical events. Right? If they could have been in ancient Egypt to see the pyramids or to have been in the room when the Declaration of Independence was signed. And... There are some things, you know, when you read about him, it just doesn't seem to compare if you get stories or pictures or a postcard from your friends when they come back. Over the years, I've heard people say that about Jesus and the Gospels. I grew up on Southern Gospel music. And there's a song, I Wish I Could Have Been There, about the miracles of Jesus. I wish I could have been there to see the lame that could leap and hear the dumb that could speak and see the multitudes of people Jesus blessed. One of the last verses ends, just reading about it couldn't compare. Maybe that's one of the reasons to explain the popularity of a TV show like The Chosen. But you see, the Gospels, 
invite us to encounter Jesus through the written and inspired word. When we wish to go back and see Jesus, we often want to go see the miracles of Jesus and skip the warnings and judgment. The Gospels bring us the Jesus we need, and often that's not the one we selfishly desire. The same was true for the audiences who did see Jesus, who were there around the Sea of Galilee during his most famous miracles and teachings. And what we see in Matthew chapter 11, they didn't repent. They didn't believe. In the passage just before today's gospel reading, Jesus proclaims judgment on those who were there. Maybe I should go back and add a couple of lines to that gospel song. Like those who walked alongside Jesus and were quite familiar with him, we too hear the words of this passage Come to me. Each week in our liturgy, the comfortable words of Jesus are a hallmark of our liturgy and illustrate our tradition's emphasis on salvation by grace alone. But I don't want us to take for granted, because of how frequently we hear these words, just how urgent this invitation is for us today. Because when we hear the urgency of this invitation, we will see more clearly the source of our comfort and our destination. Why is this invitation urgent? It's urgent because Jesus is being rejected. Where is Jesus when he's speaking and to whom is he speaking? In the towns around Galilee, Jesus has taught the Sermon on the Mount. He's cast out demons, healed the sick, and fed thousands. But how do they respond? At this point in Matthew 11, Jesus has been pronouncing judgment for their unbelief. This is a common theme throughout the biblical story of redemption, beginning in Exodus. How often do God's people see his mighty works and fail to respond in faithfulness? And yet, as Jesus says, if the pagans saw this, they would respond immediately. Many scenes in the gospel depict Jesus receiving people, coming to him to ask questions about how to live a good life. Jesus could give them wisdom, a purpose, not just data and information, but a changed heart, a new direction. They could meet Jesus and know how to live well and flourish. But what's happening in our reading for today? No one's coming to Jesus. They keep walking by, not even knowing he has what they need. Our passage today is a public prayer. Jesus speaking to the Father because no one else is listening. He knows the Father will always listen to him. Charles Spurgeon said about this verse, It is a strange sight. The Son of God entreating sinners to have mercy on themselves yet the guilty ones unwilling to receive the mercy. They're not asking for rest, and yet he is pleading with them. But isn't it comforting to know that when we take Jesus for granted, when you and I walk past him in the busyness of our lives, he is persistent in offering us rest. Now, 
What is this rest? The promise of rest is a promise of God's presence with us. In Exodus 33, God says to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Rest wasn't simply about that future destination in the promised land, but most importantly, God's presence dwelling with the people, providing peace and security. The promise of rest in God's presence restores the relationship between humans and God that we first saw in the Garden of Eden. So this is a type of presence that conveys redemption and reconciliation. Jesus is echoing that idea of rest from Exodus, but he's strengthening it because he himself, Jesus, is the source. He delivers this rest to us once and for all in his mission of redemption. Come to me and I will give you rest. This rest is spiritual comfort, contentment, and fullness of life that come with knowing and following Jesus. It is a promise of salvation in the here and now that look forward to our eternal blessing with God forever. Do you know this rest? Are we taking comfort in it? Because you see this invitation is urgent because of our weariness. All who labor. You see, Jesus knows the weariness of our work. His closest friends were fishermen. And he described his own work as a shepherd and a physician. Now, doctors back then weren't a glamorous job. They had to be among the sick, the people everyone else was trying to get away from. He knows that more than the need for physical rest is a solution to our anxious striving, to our grasping desperation that we must do it all on our own. But this isn't just for the weary working class. He encounters the same grasping in the rich too. Those who are so worried to hold on to what they have, they labor even more. Jesus himself knew how tiring work could be. And even though we don't have a picture of Jesus in his earthly workshop, we see how frequently the Gospels tell us that Jesus prioritized physical rest for him and his disciples, so they could find spiritual rest, a fellowship with God. When Jesus goes away, as the Gospels repeatedly tell us, he's not just going away to recline, to watch TV, to do nothing. It's a positive picture of rest. It's a picture of going away to pray and to fellowship with the Father. Today we sing a new song, Slow Me Down. And I chose it for the service because it speaks to how easily we lose sight of our comfort amid our anxiety and worry. When I heard the song recently, I was struck by the lines asking Jesus to call us back from my anxious drive to labor on and on, from the restless grind that has put my mind to sleep. The song reminds us that this anxiety to hold on tightly to what we have to burden ourselves this way shows a lack of trust that God will provide, a forgetfulness that God always provides. If the work is yours, there is nothing I can claim. As I've taught college students over the past few years, 
many of them suffer from the weight of enormous expectations. And when they hear this message from Jesus in my class, it is a great comfort and begins to break away at their resistance to faith. Because we've conformed to cultural expectations about work ethic and success, we've often peddled messages to these young people about making the most of every opportunity, such that it's made them feel that every assignment, every test, even every friendship, was one step closer to a dream life. One mistake can cost them everything. At least that's what they've been told. Those crushing expectations take a toll at an early age. And most students I've encountered have never had the opportunity to think for themselves not only what they actually want to do, but who they are as persons made in God's image and what is necessary for a fulfilling life. When they begin to step back and realize God's abundant provision in their lives, it begins to instill a sense of gratitude and promise of a peace that frees them to work well with a lighter spirit. So, There's quite a bit of anxiety entering into our workforce. But on the other end, where many of us find ourselves, this might resonate with you as well. The anxiety that causes many people in our society today to delay retirement. The sense that you don't really know who you are, apart from the job you've been doing for so long. Or that there's still more to do while you have time to find happiness and fulfillment. All of this can make us weary, refusing to trust in the one who says, even now, come to me. Which brings us to the source of our comfort. Who is it we're coming to? We have some instructions in this text. Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. The third instruction here, learn, is the Greek word methete, which is similar to the noun methetes, which we translate as disciples. In other words, disciples are learners who are formed in their knowledge by following a master, not just learning his teachings, but living them out. Jesus is saying, learn from me. And it is a call to discipleship. Come to me and follow me. And wherever I take you, I will give you rest. That's basically what he's saying. You will learn from my example and live that out wherever you go. And what is it we're learning in this passage today? To be gentle and lowly. This isn't about head knowledge, but whole life transformation, a way of living and imitation of Jesus. Gentle and lowly. Jesus has told his followers to be like babes. Children are powerless, without status, and dependent on others. As often as our daughter Elowen likes to say, I want to do it by myself, she can't. Not yet, at least. But Jesus uses this phrase in the Gospel of Matthew to say that in this kingdom, the gentle ones are those who are not conscious of their status, trying to climb the social ladder, but those who trust in Jesus for everything. 
And that openness to God transforms how we are forgiving and caring for others without expecting anything in return. Think of what Paul wrote in Philippians 2 when he recites this early Christian hymn that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This verb, grasp, illustrates seizing a thing by force which you eagerly desire. It might describe a thief being envious of something and taking a treasured possession. But Jesus' equality with God is not something alien to him, but is part of his very nature, and he felt no need to cling to the status. He was humble and detached enough from this sense of power. Through his humility, he redeemed us and restored us to God. But still, let us consider who it is that says he is gentle and lowly, the creator of all things, who came from a higher place than we can ever imagine, and yet went to the cross for us and descended to the depths. The one who even now is ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. King Jesus is gentle and lowly. And yet we struggle. From our pride, our attempt to attain the power to do everything on our own, or refusal to accept God's grace because we think that we are too unworthy even for God, or looking down on those we think don't belong or need to do more before they come to find rest. The Old Testament tells us how we can come to God, Psalm 24, with clean hands and a pure heart. The problem wasn't the Jewish faith, but with a group of gatekeepers who Thought it was up to them to determine how to have clean hands and a pure heart. Right? The yoke that Jesus is describing, putting it on your neck, is something that would carry the law and the prophets. But people kept adding more and more, making this burden heavier and heavier. It, it made them weary and they needed rest. But Jesus is saying, come to me. My yoke is easy. Lay down what you bring and take what I offer, and I will give you rest and peace. Jesus has the clean hands and the pure heart. We saw the Sermon on the Mount. He's the lawgiver. He is the law, and he perfectly fulfilled the law. When we come to him in faith, we come to God. But today we, we face a crisis in our church and our culture. Ten years ago, it was the nuns those who had no religious background at all. But now we are seeing an increase in duns, those who used to belong to the church but quit, not because they didn't want to love Jesus, but because of hurt and pain they experienced from those who call themselves followers of Jesus or those who were leaders and preachers. We must take seriously what is happening today. Many people of all ages, but especially younger adults, are leaving because they don't believe most people in the church believe what they say, that they're not living it out. It's been one too many times that so-called Christians have been gatekeepers to Jesus, blaspheming God by seeking worldly power and believing they are in control. Recently, Caitlin and I watched a number of documentaries 
that have come out revealing the secular dynamics of power that define megachurch movements and Christian institutions. And the pain people suffered pushed them away from the faith. But an older lady, I've been to church her whole life, but she said, I'm never going back again on this side of heaven. It seems that these movements were all about power in order to gain influence and placed enormous burdens on the people who followed them, adding expectations for what it meant to follow Jesus. And I think we struggle, just as those who heard Jesus in Galilee, to accept his gentle and lowly heart. We want our leaders, our saviors, to be mighty warriors, to fight for us, for our enemies. But I think what might be at the root of that is that if our Savior, our Master, is gentle and lowly, we must follow that path and loosen our grip on the things we selfishly desire. These stories of power and corruption in the church should be a wake-up call for us. All of us in the church should look to Christ for His gentle and lowly spirit that we might put no obstacle in the place of weary, in the weary people who need this rest. Just like Jesus, when he's receiving the little children, the disciples are trying to keep them away. I think we often put obstacles to those coming to Jesus. We can add expectations that Jesus did not require. You know, see, while the disciples are trying to keep the little children away, Jesus is showing them that they needed to follow the little children. And eventually, we need to realize that we too, we need to come to Jesus. To embrace the gentleness of Jesus and stop jockeying for status and influence, but to become like a child. And expand our openness to receive Jesus and love others. And I say this to myself. One of my greatest weaknesses, my unrelenting standards. Now, these standards mostly apply to myself. I don't know where I got them from. My parents didn't have these for me. I just had them for myself. And it just results in a constant dissatisfaction with my own efforts and whether they are good enough. But you know, this is a great weakness to have because this invitation from Jesus is so rich for me. My yoke is heavy. And I can take what Christ offers. What I think happens with this invitation is when we are so concerned with people who are accepting the invitation of Christ to come to me, but they don't meet our standards, eventually we realize that when we live by our own standards, we are still standing. We haven't moved. But Jesus is still saying to us, come to me. And each week we have an opportunity to come to Jesus, to be in his presence and receive his rest. The comfortable words allow us to re-examine our standards and yield to a superior standard, but one that is much more forgiving and free. And once we examine ourselves, reconcile with God and others, and receive these words, we can approach the table. So what does this passage tell us about the comfort of our destination? Jesus is the source of our comfort. And he sends to us the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit carries us to Jesus because Jesus is the destination. See, rest 
it's not a resting, it's not, it's a resting place, not just a time off or relaxation, but it's the peace and contentment of God's own life that we have through Jesus. Jesus offers his yoke, which is light, and his burden is easy. And why is that so important to have a light and easy burden? So we can follow our exalted Jesus, who has ascended into heaven. With his light yoke, we can follow him, who has gone up before us. Rest tells us something about our eternal destination with God. In the comfort of God's presence and delight in us. Because Christ has made us worthy of delight. What does that mean for the here and now? Before we reach our destination. We can have a lightness about us. Embracing the peace and security of the good life in Christ. That we know all we have comes from him. And we can work freely for the good of others, to the glory of God, without constantly having to prove our worth. And each Sunday we come to the table. Because the yoke is light and the burden is easy, we are able to lift up our hearts in a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. It's not that the Spirit can't lift our heavier burden to Christ, but we would be unable to offer our praise with our hearts heavy and weighed down in sin, worry, and despair. Today we need to let go the burdens pulling us down and keeping our hearts stuck. Today, by coming to Jesus and placing our trust in his once and for all sacrifice, we receive the likeness of a life that follows him as our lead. We can know that God sees us as he sees Christ, perfect and lovely. I want to close with a poem by the Anglican priest and poet George Herbert that shows us how Christ draws, near, draws us near to him in the Eucharist. And this is the third sonnet on love. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand. And smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And you know not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. In love, Jesus made us. And by his sacrifice, he remade us to be worthy of this invitation. So when we hear these comfortable words of Jesus in our liturgy today, come to me, all who labor. Let's answer love's call. Let's trust in the gentle and lowly Savior. Let's come to the table and eat and receive the rest our souls desire.